Navigating the Storm, Episode 2, Reclaiming Your Wild. I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach and seasoned survivor of life storms. You can find me online at annanightcoach.com or in my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. On this podcast, I speak to women and non-binary people about their real lives, their journey to where they are now and the big issues they want to see change in the world. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although Liz Gilbert, if you're listening, you'd be so welcome. They're people who've inspired me, excited me or challenged me to think bigger and braver than I ever did before. Today we're talking about dead ends and life-shaking changes. To me, a dead end isn't a bad thing. It's where some of the most magical changes are possible. We've been stopped in our tracks, sometimes literally, and there's simply no going further on that path. It's an ending, sure, but it's also a beginning. You might find new ways to go on that you never dreamed of, or go back to old dreams and turn them into new passions. Our guest today, Jen, Went from wild-hearted child to businesswoman in what she so wonderfully describes as a very shiny suit, and all the way back around to her current life as a wild guide, coach, and adventurer. Good morning, Jen. Morning, Anna. It's lovely to have you here speaking with us. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jen LaMarinelle and I am a coach and wild guide. I work with, with women to hold space for them to find their courage, freedom, um, connection and clarity on their journey through life and business and help them reconnect to that little part of them that's still wild. Help them to find that wildness and that sense of freedom in themselves and all that they do. Oh, that sounds delightful. (laughs) Yeah. I love that there was a moment a couple of months ago where my sister messaged me (laughs) saying that she taught you when you were, I think, seven or eight? Seven, yeah. One of those amazing coincidences. She was my favorite teacher. <laughs> and she um, she told me a story about how you brought a slow worm into the classroom one day and you were so excited about this. Yeah, I remember that. Me and my older brothers were always doing so much with animals. Like we had countless slow worms. I had a mouse at one point. I had a bird with an injured wing. I used to collect grasshoppers and caterpillars and lady I was crazy about all sorts of bugs and creatures when I was little and yeah I <laughs> I occasionally would take them into school and, and share them with friends and teachers and uh, I, I never kind of thought that it was strange but looking back I'm sure several people thought I was slightly bonkers <laughs> <laughs> and what did that little Jen love about all the wild when she was tiny oh gosh I think there was a sense of freedom I was really lucky growing up you know I grew up in a little village in a sort of a cul-de-sac right on the edge of fields and 
I just remember with, with kids, we would go and just roam around the fields for for hours and days, it felt like. And there was a sense of freedom. I always used to dream that I could talk to the animals or that I knew about plants. And I kind of had the sense, the sense of the stories of the old women who could heal with plants and commune with the animals. And I guess a little part of me wanted that to be true for myself. But yeah, I think it was just the sense of freedom and, and curiosity. I was always very curious as a child. So how did you get from that point to a big fancy career in finance? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of bizarre when I think of me kind of a, a, a semi-wild child to ending up in a shiny suit in a shiny office. I loved school. I loved learning. I was always really good at maths and and I was kind of a typical A-star student. I, I worked hard. I loved studying. I was reasonably intelligent. So I guess I kind of worked through. I I probably loved the praise, right, of, you know, being teacher's pet or whatever. I was probably one of those kids that everyone hated because she was such a teacher's pet. Um, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I loved to learn. So you know, I went on I, an A-level, I did maths and further maths and psychology and French and business studies. And I remember when I was looking at what to do at university, at one point I was thinking about going on to do a psychology degree because I wanted to be an educational psychologist. And when I was looking into it, I realised to work in educational psychology, you kind of needed to have a, a national curriculum degree or, or something. So I thought, oh, I don't know, maybe I go down the maths route and then I specialise in psychology later. So I ended up going down the maths route and I loved it. Like, it was hard doing a maths degree at, at Durham, but um, I also thrived on the challenge of it. And then after that, I, um, I was very fortunate. I did an Erasmus year, so I spent my third year in France studying maths and then came and did my fourth year. And I was trying to think about what I wanted to do and I didn't really know. So I took a, a gap year after university and went traveling and and I remember researching what can I do that uses my maths is going to give me a little bit of flexibility like I knew I didn't want to be in a really fast-paced city job working all hours of the day I wanted something that was going to give me a bit of flexibility but use my problem solving skills but also use my people skills because I knew I wanted to work with people as well and I just kept getting actuary come up and I didn't even know what an actuary was but it was like, oh, it's problem solving. It's communicating difficult concepts to, to non-experts. And I thought, wow, that sounds amazing. And I just kind of went down that path. I mean, it was something to do. I needed a job. I wanted something that was going to be respectable and use my skills. So I just started applying and I managed to get a job in a, a FTSE, well, it wasn't a FTSE 100 company at the time, but it was an up and coming wealth management company. And I just sort of felt in flow and I kind of fell into it. I, I went to the interview. I got the job. I loved the company. So I just started and then I started studying for my exams and um, actuarial exams. It's sort of between three to six years of studying whilst working, taking exams. And I just did that. And there I was in financial services. <laughs> so another big leap from there to here. Was there a moment where you were like, hang on, something's not right. I need to make a change. Yeah. There are a couple of points where I was very lucky in financial services where because I was I was seen as kind of an up and coming you know, potential future leader, I was involved in some sort of focus groups and leadership development groups and I had a couple of coaching sessions through those. And whenever they got a bit 
closer to my vision and what I wanted. It was always blank. I couldn't, I couldn't ever see myself in my career. You know, the first few times that happened, it sort of unsettled me a bit, but I just kind of put it aside. But I could never do these five, ten-year plans. And it was only after I'd been there about, it was about seven years, I think, where it was actually outside of work that things started to go wrong. And I was in a relationship with my then partner, who was a junior doctor. And we'd been together while she had been at medical school and she'd qualified. And we bought a house together and we started living together. And it was this big, shiny townhouse. I was working even harder because we'd committed to quite a big mortgage and I was supporting her in her early stages of her career. I just felt like I was giving more and more and more to myself, but I was losing myself in the process. I didn't know what I was giving myself to. There was actually a moment where my manager just asked me a really blunt question. She said, is Sarah the right person for you? And I just burst into tears. And it was kind of the one question that took the lid off everything and it made sense of everything. I'd been getting migraines, I'd been getting exhausted, I'd been, you know, really struggling to keep up. And and that tipped me into like a massive kind of breakdown, really. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being signed off work. In total, I was off for two months, signed off with depression. And in that period, I started seeing a coach and well, she was a, she was a counsellor coach and she started helping me to untangle all the stuckness that I felt. Yeah, from there, I ended up leaving my relationship, realising that that really wasn't what I wanted. And it was a really quite a traumatic part of my life and it was very hard on my then partner as well. And I gradually had to unpick what I wanted and I, you know, I left the house and kind of had to rebuild myself. But I was rebuilding myself with the help of a coach who helped me tap into what it was I really wanted. And she helped me reconnect with my dreams and my visions. And suddenly all of those dreams I'd had or or rather hadn't had because I could only see a blank, you know, I didn't know where I was going to be. Suddenly these dreams started coming back to life. And all of the little things that had been sort of, oh, you can't do that for a living. You know, you can't earn any money doing that. You know, you can't hug trees for a living, <laughs> um, which was something my partner actually said to me at one point. And it broke my heart because I was like, I don't actually want to hug trees for a living. But can't you hear what I'm trying to say? You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to be working, you know, 60 hour weeks in an office for the rest of my life. And I was just thinking uh, when you were speaking of that kind of moment where one moment crystallizes and takes the lid off. I've got this little shorthand in my head where I refer to them as minibus moments. What I mean by that is that I had a very similar moment where I was at work. I used to work for a school for kids with learning difficulties and had kind of risen quite quickly to the management team. And there was a day where I was on the phone in my office yelling at someone because the minibus had been left dirty and if they had left the minibus dirty it meant that this class couldn't go out and then that meant that this class later on didn't have a minibus and I was fully in the moment of just being so angry about minibuses and I almost had this out-of-body moment where I kind of looked down at myself and was like when did I start to care so much about minibuses? <laughs> like, at what point in a speech therapy career did I ever think minibuses would be the hill that I chose to take a stand over? Wow. And it was that moment that unplugged everything. And like you say, it then it spreads from that one moment to your relationships and your way of living and everything. Once you've opened that can, you're like, oh. 
yeah, it really makes you step back and you sort of go, how did it get to here? Mm -hmm. How how did I let it get to this stage before I did something about it? It's often not about that thing, but that's the thing that makes it it pop. Exactly. And you talk on your website about having burnout as well. What was your experience of burnout? So I guess there was kind of two two stages for me. You know, oh, what was it classic burnout? I don't know. It was almost like a, an emotional burnout for me, but there was also the physical stuff there too. That time of being signed off work was kind of the biggest sort of burnout in that I just I felt like I'd been juggling so much for so long, supporting so many other people for so long. I'd stepped up to a management role. I'd stepped up into my boss's shoes when he had left. You know, I was supporting my partner in her junior doctor role. I felt like I was having to be this person. And, you know, once that final straw, you know, had gone, I just felt like I collapsed. I was crying. I cried on so many of my managers, bosses, senior colleagues. It was quite embarrassing. And it just felt like I had no resilience. I mean, I'd always been quite sensitive and I'd been criticised. You know, I needed to have a thicker skin. And I'd, I'd spent years trying to build a thicker skin, right, thinking there was something wrong with me. And it just felt like every little thing would get to me and bring me down. And I was getting headaches, I was getting migraines. I was just, I was just, I was just struggling. I didn't realise quite how much I was struggling. And I also had a chronic health, well, I have a chronic health condition and I have Crohn's disease. And been in a hospital twice in about four years with that. I was sort of felt like I was managing it but it was just all this simmering pot that I was kind of pretending I was okay but every now and then things would bubble up and I clearly wasn't but I hadn't acknowledged that to myself particularly in the fast-paced shiny finance world you've kind of got to put a brave face and uh, pretend everything's okay and you've got it together I think yeah it all came to a head and I just collapsed and those especially the first month of being signed off I just I literally I could barely get myself out of bed I just felt exhausted I lost about a stone in weight because I just didn't want to eat I just literally felt like the world had bottomed out underneath me. I kind of recovered from that and started, you know, tuning back into my dreams and things like that. And so I sort of built myself up back and was back at work. But then there was kind of this, not as severe, but this secondary kind of emptiness. And I moved roles. I I got headhunted for another role. And I thought, great, maybe this is it, the new start. But I found myself just... And now looking back, I can see it was almost like a soul emptiness and a, a soul burnout. I realized that I was, I was not using myself in the way I wanted to use my skills. And I found myself getting really bored. I wasn't in a role that was challenging me enough. It wasn't quite what I had expected. I wasn't in part of a team. I was doing quite a lot of solo work. I really missed that connection. I missed feeling like I was doing something valuable. And I was starting to burn out physically again, not from working too hard because I wasn't being challenged enough and I could turn up at nine o'clock and leave at five. But I was finding every afternoon I was getting exhausted and I would have to go. I literally would be taking myself off to the bathroom and sitting on the floor in the toilet with the door locked and having a 10 to 20 minute power nap because I couldn't keep my eyes open in the afternoon. At first, I thought, gosh, am I, am I physically ill again? Mm-hmm. But over the months, I started to realise, no, I'm just bored and I need something different. And that is eventually what catapulted me, I guess, into finally leaving and going out on my own. So can you tell me a little bit about what you found now that you've catapulted? Oh, life is very different. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. So it was three years ago that I left and uh, about three and a half years since I made the decision to leave. It's been a real journey of a 
I mean, it's not been easy, but it's been the best thing I've ever done. I've learned to trust myself. I've learned all about the ups and downs. I mean, the adventures I've had. When I first left, I walked from Land's End to John O'Groats, and it took three and a half months. And it was like, it was freedom, and it was purpose, and it was like, wow, when am I ever going to have this space to do something big like this? So I did that, and I felt a real sense of resilience and aliveness from doing that. The simplicity of walking every day, just needing to get from A to B, carrying everything I needed on my back, you know, it was a real sense of self-sufficiency almost. Mm. Then from that, everything I've learned about, you know, my business and about myself, like you can't help but go into business and learn more about yourself, especially when you're training as a coach, right? You, mm-hmm. Because you're, you're, you're being coached yourself and you, you go through all the stuff. But even when things are really difficult, there's this sense of aliveness. I really feel so, even when it's hard, even when it's uncertain, the days where I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from and it was scary. I spent a whole year with having no fixed abode. I was house-sitting for a year and I was living out of my car and moving around a lot. But it really taught me about letting go of security, letting go of the need to know where I'm going. And all the adventures that have opened up, all the opportunities that have opened up because I held life really lightly and let go of the need to know it meant that when an opportunity came up I could jump on it and I could really listen to my heart and and feel called towards yes this or you know not that Mm. I mean I still get exhausted sometimes I still get knackered but I'm (laughs) because I'm able to work you know and learning about cycle tracking and working with my cycles has been so powerful because I know that you know for at least a week once a month I don't have the energy to be out and bubbly and doing stuff but I know that if I rest and try and work my schedule around that, I can I can sink, I can surrender, I can nap in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But then the rest of the month, I know I'm going to have much more energy to do stuff. So I, I can tailor my diary to my own energy levels, to my own sort of interests. And there's something about that freedom that's so liberating, mm. so liberating. And, and now I'm doing something I love, you know, working with women, helping them find their own freedom. And you'll know this, right? You give a lot of yourself as a coach. But at the same time in giving, you're also receiving. Mm-hmm. And there's something so fulfilling when I work with a client and I see her blossom. It just fills me up so much in a way that sitting in an office working in a spreadsheet never did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you, you mentioned right at the beginning about finding that wildness. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means to you? Oh, yeah. Gosh, I could talk for hours on this one. <laughs> I'll try and be a good size. <laughs> I mean, I really believe that deep inside all of us, there's that desire to reconnect with our sense of wildness. Thousands of years ago, we came out of the African savannah and, you know, became who we are today. But I really believe that there's still that sense of primalness in all of us. And it really comes out, you know, when you're sat around a fire, it really comes out just, I don't know, being drawn into the flames, being drawn into that sense of community, of telling stories around the fire, of of lighting that fire. And for me, in modern day life, we've kind of lost a lot of that. We develop very comfortable lives, you know, we're always lighting, we're afraid of the dark, lights on all the time, comfortable beds, We've made our lives very easy and comfortable, but but we've kind of swapped that comfort for a different type of discomfort. You know, we've got the back aches and the eye strain and the mental health struggles and difficulty sleeping because I feel we've interrupted our natural rhythms a lot. 
and you look at winter, which traditionally would have been where we would slow down. We would not full on hibernate, but we would really slow down, conserve our energy. Whereas for us now, it's the brightest time of the year and it's exhausting. And, and I feel we've lost some of our wildness. And yet when you get to be out in the wild, when I have women sat around the fire or, you know, we go for a walk in the woods or out on the moors, you can leave behind the labels of the world. You can leave behind the stresses, the strains, the busyness. And when you're there around the fire, out in nature, nothing else matters. There's a real sense of presence and simplicity connecting with, with how, as humans, we're supposed to be. You know, we were nomadic and walking and moving and living off the land. And even if it's doing a little bit of foraging and you know, making a salad from some of the wild greens in spring or feeling the strength and the resilience of being able to walk from A to B, or recognise some trees or some birds or something. There's something really empowering about that, both from the space that comes from being out in the wild, but also about tuning into that wisdom that we've got and that inner wildness and that thrill of excitement when you manage to make a fire from a spark, from a mm -hmm. fire steel, or yeah, just being out in nature and smelling the flowers, hearing the birds, like seeing all the movements. I just believe when we tap into that, we tap into this life force and this energy and this wildness that is missing from our very tame, comfortable and uncomfortable modern lives. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was struck by what you were saying there. I had a, a really profound moment towards the start of lockdown this year where I live in a city, like one of the biggest cities in the UK, and we were going out on our, our one allowed daily exercise walk oh, yes. of the day. But it was the first time that I'd ever explored my direct local environment on foot. Like the street where we live in is often, I think, it just becomes a place where we arrive in our cars and go straight into our houses. Yeah. And I hadn't realised how much nature was around me. Oh, wow. So I, I really had that moment of trying to be mindful on those walks and just discovering the flowers blooming in places I'd never thought to look for them. That, like, I really relate to what you say about that little thrill when you find it, that moment of like, oh, wow. Yeah, and often we think that it has to be big stuff, right? You know, it has to be a week's camping in the Lake District or, you know, a big hike or something. But it can be in those little moments where magic happens. Yeah, when you see that first blossom, and you stop and you really look at it and you see the colours and you see the texture and the softness of you know, the green around it. And you can really get lost in just something so tiny and yet it can bring such a sense of connection and joy. So I love that. And yeah, even in cities, you can find little patches of wild. I love that kind of the sense of small adventures, but you've yeah. also had some big adventures <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about this year's big adventure, your trip to the Kalahari. Yeah, oh my goodness. Do you know, I've always had this fascination with indigenous tribes all over the world. And I'd always had this dream of going and living with an indigenous tribe. But I kind of had this realistic, yeah, how am I going to do that? You don't just get an invite, right, to go and <laughs> stay with a tribe. And then it was just a series of, I call them breadcrumbs. You know, when you say yes to something and you do that, and then you say yes to something and it just leads this trail to these opportunities. 
through a program I'd been a part of called Call of the Wild, I got to know some people that had links with a guy in, well, he's South African, but he works in South Africa, Botswana and Namibia with the San Bushmen, trying to help them preserve their culture. He had founded this organisation called Cybertracker, which is a global organisation now, but he works with uh, um, indigenous people, helping them get this global certification to use their skills. I mean, these people have been the way they are for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, right? So that some of the most ancient people on, on earth in Africa and their tracking skills are phenomenal and they have such value to add for conservation, um, anti-poaching, all sorts of things like that. And this guy has developed um, programs so that they can get certified and then they can get employment because they're a very persecuted people um, in Africa. So, so there's not a lot of employment opportunities. And sadly, their culture and their traditions and actually as a people, they're dying out. And people that had been through this Call of the Wild program were invited out on this kind of a trial program to see whether we could have like a skills swap almost and we would go and live with them and show them that their skills their way of living their customs were of interest to people in the western world and we got to go out there so we went out in March and we we lived with them for we were there for sort of eight nine days I think with the Bushmen and we in the depths of the Kalahari desert you know we drove for hours or a couple of days in through Namibia and then you know, four hours on a gravel road and then half an hour on a sand road and then another 20 minutes on this tiny jeep track through the bush into this village where it was a temporary village with the Bushmen and their families. And we were there and, we, and you know, no running water. So water had to be fetched from a borehole a couple of miles away. No electricity. We were cooking over the campfire. We'd go out hunting with the Bushmen who still hunt with bow and arrow. Um, and they track the animals and the women and the elders would go out foraging for roots and tubers and leaves and fruit. And we'd go out with them. And we were basically learning about their way of living and sitting with the women while they were making their traditional jewellery out of ostrich egg shells and doing fire by friction and making cordage out of you know plants plant fibers and it was just phenomenal like we were out there in the middle of the bush you know we weren't there as tourists we were there as students almost and learning about their way of life but also contributing financially to helping them maintain their cultures and find a way to bring in an income through it and it was just beautiful. It was incredible and breathtaking. And I'm now actually part of a group continuing to work with them and support the work that's going on out there. So I'm hoping to get to, to go out there and maybe take a group out myself at some point. Oh, wow. Because I, oh gosh, the humility and resilience of the Bushmen. They, I've never seen people laugh so much who have so little. You know, they're so in touch with the earth, the animals, the plants, the sky. Kiddo, they jokingly said one night, oh, shut your tents tonight, it's going to rain. And we're sort of looking around and it's perfectly starry sky. And then sure enough, in an hour's time, the heavens opened and it mm. rained all night. It was amazing. So amazing. And how have you brought those learnings back into your everyday life now that you're back in Britain? Yeah, good question. It was really interesting because our trip got cut short because of COVID-19 and we had to we had to dash back before they closed all the borders in Africa. It was a real shock to the system to go from middle of the bush with no outside contact with the world to back into 
lockdown and coronavirus and it was such a vast difference it was a real culture shock and it was you know it took, it took a little while to kind of be like wow wh- where am I but having learned from the Bushman I mean the thing that the Bushman said when we asked them you know what's the most important thing in life they said the most important thing is to understand each other mm-hmm. and it was like wow (laughs) they're not cut off from the world they know what's going on in the world a couple of them even have smartphones which was quite bizarre so they they and they acknowledge that there's a need for balance for balancing the old and the new for balancing busyness with stillness with balancing progress with honoring the old ways and we sort of brought that back into it's like wow how can I honor stillness amongst the busyness how can I honor connection and community that's one thing that coronavirus has taught us all, I think, is the power of community. You know, we see so many stories of communities coming together. I mean, I've got to know my neighbours more in the last couple of months than I have ever before mm-hmm. because we're making an effort to get to know each other because we can't go as far. And I really believe that seeing the Bushmen together and how close their family groups are and how important it is to support each other and to share, like sharing and gifting is a big thing in the Sun community. You know, everything is shared, even if there's very, very little. One thing you can rely on is that support of your community, of your family. Yeah, and I really relate to that, that community piece. A few years ago, when I left my relationship and started to live on my own, I lived on this amazing street. I've never known anything quite like it, where the street had its own Facebook group for people who lived there. When you moved in, you contact them and you had to give them your door number so that they knew you actually did live on the street. But it was just this wonderful place where it was that sense of community that people would post, oh, I've retired my bathroom and I've got this many tiles left. Who wants them? Or you could post, actually, I'm really sick. I haven't been able to get to the shops. Could anyone bring me some food? Oh, wow. Yeah. And and it just worked. People did. And there was no sense of, well, you owe me one. Or I did that for you. Why won't someone help me? It just was this place where everyone was engaging with feeding love into the community. If someone needed childcare, there was someone who'd be like, oh, just pop them down my, to mine for a few minutes. And that was something that I, when I moved off that street, I really wanted to look at how we carry that forward. And I do think that I've seen a lot of that lately. There's around me, each of the wards in my city now has its own mutual aid group. And and it is starting to become that thing of going, oh, I've done a clear out and I've got a whole load of books. Does anyone want them? I need a mattress was one of the ones the other day. So I'm being like, I really need a mattress. Does anyone know what I can do? Because the mattress shops aren't open. Yeah. And 10 minutes later, someone had found her a mattress. Oh, it's amazing. And I think we all crave that. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I've loved about lockdown is it's forced us to slow down, which has meant we've had more time to do that. And one thing I really hope that we carry forward from lockdown is that we continue to find the time to do the community stuff. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, it takes longer. But what we get from it is so, so powerful. I mean, it's and it's not just what we get in terms of someone helping us, but the there's a real gift to be able to help someone else. And I think yeah. we're all getting a little better at asking for help and accepting it. Because that's a big thing. It's often people are very willing to give it, but... P- you know, we aren't always open to receiving it because we feel like, oh, we're going to have to give something back or, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, 
I couldn't possibly, someone else might need it more. But I think the more we accept and, and the more we give freely, it just feels like a gift from both sides to mm, me. Definitely. So where are you going next? What's the next big adventure for Jen? Oh, well, do you know what? I'm not sure what the, the next adventure is yet, which actually isn't unusual. I've had kind of a big adventure every year for the last four years now and I've never really known what it's going to be until it arrives as an opportunity mm-hmm. in my lap so I'm I'm staying open to opportunities but for me you know a lot of the focus at the moment is my business and I really want to grow the getting people outdoors you know I was I was supposed to be running a retreat next weekend around summer solstice where um you know women were going to come we were staying in yurts and we'd be off grid pretty much for two days cooking over the campfire and I really want to bring more of that into my work but but for me the the adventure is continuing to do my own work uh, my own inner work and understanding myself I'm constantly on this you know I call myself a truth seeker I'm always looking to understand more to learn to dive deep and shed more layers and bring that to people and yes there will be some more Africa as well I'm, I'm quite involved in this supporting the Bushmen and doing some fundraising around that and hopefully getting out there again and yeah hopefully taking some women out with me Brilliant. So, yes, watch this space. I love it. <laughs> I'm excited to see what my next adventure will be. <laughs> and if anyone who's listening to this wants to get in touch with you, Jen, wants to work with you to find their wild, how would they get in contact? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, the best bet is to head to my website, which is wildfirewalks.com. Or I've got my Facebook page, which is also Wildfire Walks, or my group, which is Wildfulness which is the combination of mindfulness, uh, finding the wild and setting aside the, the craziness of modern day life for a little bit. Thank you so much for your time today, Jen. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been an absolute treat. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jen. We recorded it earlier in the year, but I think that sense of feeling stuck, out of options or on the wrong path keeps rising for a lot of us this year. It's really natural to resist change when you get to this point. We can fight and struggle through something that no longer fits us, out of fear, pride or even sometimes just to prove a point. What I hope you heard from Jen and I today is that even when something feels like the end, we can turn it into the beginning of something magical. If you're in this place... Stay brave and start looking for doors to open around you, even if you need to kick some of them down. If you want support through the journey, you can come to Port in the Storm, my Facebook community. No matter what you're facing, the community is here to help you handle the hard stuff and make incredible changes that feel true to the real you. Whatever you've been through, wherever you are now, and no matter where you want to go, we've got your back. Next week, I'll be chatting with Hattie Hassan, MBE. Hattie has lived an incredible and varied life, and we'll be talking about why freedom is so important, why she created the only national company of female plumbers worldwide, and her current fundraising drive to form the Stopcocks National Register of Tradeswomen. If you want a sneaky peek before then, check out the Stopcocks campaign on crowdfunder.co.uk. 
Thanks for listening, lovelies. We'll see you next week. Navigating the Storm was hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson.